Julia, are you racist? I am racist. Yep. A hundred percent. I'm Yasmin, and this is the, the Mixed, Mixed Feelings, Feelings Podcast. Yo, 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 what's up, racist? Supremacists. <laughs> All of you prejudiced ass mother... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hi, everybody. We missed you. Welcome back. Um, thanks so much for listening to our first episode, Sex, Drugs, and Mumble Rap. We got a lot of feedback, so thank you. And keep the feedback coming. We love it. Um, so I already know that a lot of you are going to have some more feedback coming for us because of this episode. Warning. 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 <laughs> this next episode is going to be a little bit more thought-provoking. A little more educational. A little more deep. Get you thinking about yourself, hopefully, right? Right. That was one hell of a way to start off the episode. Yeah, and that's Julia for you. She's like that all the time, nonstop. Seriously, yeah, she's very intense in her anti-racism work. She is a white woman married to a black man. She has three amazingly intelligent and strong mixed daughters, and now a grandpa bae. A grandpa bae! <laughs> Who's also super strong and intelligent. Um, but she's really deep in her anti-racism journey. I think that having black people in her immediate family has pushed her and challenged her in ways that if she was in a completely white family, she probably wouldn't have been challenged in the way that she is now. And we had the chance to ask her some questions about that journey. Yeah, and conversations like this, especially when there's like one person of color and one white person, they're awkward. They're hella awkward. Yeah, because we... uh, We in society are just not comfortable having these conversations. And I feel like I'm always the crazy one whenever I say anything about it. Right, because people are so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. about it that that is their immediate reaction is, what? Why are you talking about this? Yeah, or you're overthinking that. I think it's funny sometimes that people think that they understand your reality better than you. Yeah, true. Let's talk about some of those things. Yeah, so what even is racism, first of all? What is the definition of racism? What is the definition of racism? God, your accents are so much better than mine. Dude, it's because I'm a dramatic person. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, so our own definition of racism basically is that racism is a system. Uh, It is a conditioning system, too, you know? So not only is it systemic in the way that it affects our institutions, such as the education system, uh, criminal justice system, Uh, even medical systems, things like that. On top of that, it is just the way that we are socially conditioned to behave in our everyday lives. How are we interacting with people? What are the things that we're saying? What are we wearing? How are we responding when people come up to us? We also place racism on a spectrum, right? So on one end of the spectrum, you have Billy Bob in Alabama who says the N-word with a hard R and believes that the KKK is life. 
on the other side, you've got, I mean, fucking Julia. Yeah. Yeah, Julia, who will acknowledge her own racial biases, who believes that Black Lives Matter, who's trying to do the work, but still has racist tendencies. And I, I think it's important to point out that we all are on this spectrum. Even people of color. Yeah, even us. Yeah, and but for people of color, we, Kaya and I specifically, would not use the term racism. We typically use the term anti-blackness, but... That in itself is also limiting because there is racism towards other people of color. So that is what we talk about when we are talking about racism. Or I guess we're not necessarily talking about racial slurs or derogatory statements that people are making, but more so big picture how racism operates on an everyday basis. And I think that's hard for some people to conceptualize because when they get called out for being racist... They don't understand because they're like, I didn't set a cross on fire. Right. I'm not racist. Right. How dare you say that? Right. So let's just talk about some like everyday examples of racism. That are funny. Let's talk about the cute ones. Yeah, the cutesy ones. Like the cutesy racism where I'm like, oh, bless your heart. I know you didn't really mean to be <laughs> racist, but mm, that was colonial. Bless your heart, Carol. I got one for you. Yeah, let's hear it. So I used to work in a nursing home when I was like 15, uh, and on my first day I was sitting in a group of these old women, and one of them was like, hey, can you say all of our names in your language? What? Yeah, and so you know what I did? What? I said Beth, Sue, Alice, Lisa. (laughs) Those are your names. Uh, That's my language. Underwhelming, I know. You should have just added an accent on it. Lisa. 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 Oh. Or remember when we went to Black Klansman yeah, a couple weeks ago? I do remember. So me and Yasmin, we went to Black Klansman with a crew of our friends, all black. Yeah, because when you're going to a movie like that, you need the support. Yeah, there's no way I could see that movie with anybody not black. But <laughs> we took up like an entire row in the theater of all just black people. And this one older white guy kind of came in a little bit, you know, later than us and sat right in the middle of the row in front of us. And we were watching the movie, and it's really actually heavy, way heavier than I thought it was going to be. Oh my gosh, if you've seen the commercials for that movie, you're probably like, oh, it looks a little lighthearted, kind of comical. Not to, you know, detract from the KKK, but you know, it seemed kind of light. We were not prepared. No, it was not light. Yeah, it was. it's actually really good. Everybody should go see it. But the very end of the movie, after it was super heavy, it's quiet, right? The credits start rolling. And the white guy in front of us goes, <sighs> Right, but the moment that he sighed, because at the very end of the movie, um, Spike Lee and Jordan Peele, they put in an upside-down American flag, and it's just silent. And literally the silence, you can hear it until this man interrupts it with his side. And it was just like very obvious which side of the spectrum he was on. That was a racist side. It was a racist side. And how do you explain that to someone who has never experienced racism? Yeah, they think you're crazy. Right. And <laughs> right, because like just imagine if you didn't give any context and you're like, yeah, the way that this guy sighed at the movie theater, I just knew he was racist. <laughs> white people would take that shit as a joke they're Mm -hmm. like what are you talking about you guys are sensitive
this isn't about me, this work, this effort, and what I'm doing is not to better me. I will become a better person and the person I want to be by doing the work that I need to do, do for myself um, internally, but the work that I do must be about other people. What are their needs? And the only way I can do that is by sitting and listening and saying, what do you want me to do? And follow their lead. Juliet really started noticing everyday racism when she started dating her husband. Handing someone cash that I handed cash to at a gas station for years and years. Now my husband, boyfriend at the time, was pumping gas, and now this change is just thrown back at me. No eye contact and just, what is this? Going to restaurants, usually being seated right away. Now we're being seated in the corner by the smoking section. Uh, him being pulled over multiple times in the city we lived in and never ticketed. So after a while of noticing the mistreatment of her husband, Julia started to become angry at the way that he was treated differently than other white people that she knew. So when her husband had gotten his car towed, uh, this was Julia's response. And he's like, watch. A month from now, there's going to be a warrant out for my arrest saying that I never paid this ticket. And I was there with him when he paid it. And what do you know? A month later, he didn't pay this ticket. Now he has to pay even more. Uh, so I, And I went and I had to pay that ticket for him. I was trying to, you know, be all bold. And so I took all the money and I got coins for the ticket I went to the bank and said give me as many pennies nickels, dimes, quarters and then one dollar coins that you have and I unrolled every single one of those coins and I went to the police station to pay the ticket and I was like ready right I'm ready to do this but my husband told me just go pay the ticket because he saw how mad I was and I'm like, yep, yep, yep. But no, what did Julia want to do? Julia wanted to go and do what she wanted to do. So I was not thinking for my husband. I was thinking, I'm going to fix this. Right. I'm going to make a statement. So I went in that space. I wrote a checkout because the interrogation started. Where, how long has he been living in the state? Where is he coming from? Because he said, I will be flagged. I'm already tagged now. And so I was just bringing more attention to him that he did not want, that he already had, just because he was a black man. You know, that's pretty wild. Um, It's moving, uh, but also unsurprising, I think, to a lot of people of color, the way that the, especially criminal justice procedures, the way that they work. But I do just want to, like, rewind Right? Right? Like, so when she's talking about pulling up with all the coins. That actually is funny. Imagine being the person that has to collect and count every single one of those coins. Excuse me, you left out a nickel. Bet the fuck I did. Recount. But she didn't pay with coins, though, which I think was really big of her. That is really big of her. To catch that. Yeah. I think she caught herself before she committed an act of... White saviorism. Bum, bum, bum. Exactly. What is white saviorism? That's a good question. And I think it's better just to give an example. A metaphor. Just a little, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Break it down. Break it down, girl. White saviorism is kind of like you going to a restaurant 
you go to the bathroom, and while you're in the bathroom, the waiter comes out and takes everybody's orders. So somebody's like, you know what? I'm going to order for Yasmin. Don't worry about it. Gets you the salad. Ah, and everyone knows I wanted the chicken breasts. Fuck that salad. Yeah, I, like, I appreciate that you tried to help because you saw I was gone. Maybe because of some historical trauma or something. <laughs> but you should have talked to me. Yeah, you didn't even know. You just overstepped. Yeah, and Julia's going to actually explain one of those times that she did overstep. One of my earliest memories that I feel I was doing some of that was my best friend in high school. She was a Native woman. She was had a terrible home life. Uh, and so I went to her home one day, uh, and I told her to pack her things. Her parents were there, and um, her stepmom and her dad was there, and I said, we're getting out of here. You're not. And I started going off on her stepmom, who was a white woman, uh, and just saying, you are, you know, telling her how bad she was and terrible she, the treatment of her, uh, of my friend. And her, it just turned into a really bad situation where they were threatening to call the police. But I'm like, go ahead, call the police. I can call social services. They'll be here in a second to see how you're treating her. Uh, and in my, that moment, I, you know, she, she left. She came with me. She lived with me for three months and my folks. Um, but what was I doing to really help her? Like, what was I doing to really help the situation? Because I went to adults. I was only 17, 18 years old myself. And, uh, and no one helped. No one helped this young woman find her voice um, get the care she needed. The system failed her. Um, she didn't finish high school. Um, she was an intelligent young woman. She was talented in athletics. And she died not that long ago from a drug overdose. She matters. Can you give a shit other than just getting her a bed in her old home, because her parents didn't provide one, or providing her a place to stay. Can you advocate for her in the courts? Can you advocate? Can we find the people that she needs in her life? But people just thought, you know, my parents talking about the Bible to her, and <laughs> uh, and people just, you know, focusing more on her athleticism and things like that, not truly seeing her and what her needs are and asking her. What do you want? What do you need? So people are just doing it for their own selfish reasons. And the level of their intention, what they want to do, is because of them. What is in it for them? I can relate to this. I can relate to it too, yeah. I think that the example that comes to mind for me is when both you and I had advocated for incarcerated workers. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking of. What the hell do we know <laughs> about being incarcerated? Oh my god. Every time I think about how much effort we put into that, and then we had to take a step back. We really did have to take a step back, and that shows accountability, which is important to doing the real work. I think you have to cross that bridge and make that mistake to be a, a good ally. So what does that look like? Uh... That's a big question, but it's an important question, and I think something that needs to continue to have a lot of discussion, and why? Because 
white people, myself included, struggle with having being held accountable and being called out because we're not used to it. We don't deal with that on a regular basis. So people are really resistant to acknowledging that there is hate within them. And so I think it starts with the individual, which is hard because you can't change anyone. They have to make that choice. And so as a white person, I had to have a moment um, where another strong black woman was in my face and other women's faces and just saying, you don't get a pass. And when have you ever stood up for black and brown women? When have you ever stood up for black and brown people consistently, daily? Uh, and that was the moment where I had to take accountability. Mm. Mm. That was a lot. Yeah, that's some good, deep self-reflection there. It really is. And it shows not only accountability, but just humanity and dedication to this work. Yeah, she's dedicated. And you know, something that I realized while she was talking about this, because I would say that I very much work on my own personal anti-blackness a lot, but right. that doesn't mean that I am absolved of the other biases that I have, right? Definitely. And the big thing that comes to my mind is ableism. And for those of, the, those of our listeners who don't know, ableism is discrimination towards people with disabilities, both visible and invisible. Um, and it's something that, you know, I try to be aware of, but at the same time, since that isn't some something I identify with, it's really difficult for me to completely grasp, you know, what my position is and how I benefit and how I privilege and how I might be holding other people back because of my privilege. I really resonate with that. And I think we have to constantly ask ourselves, what are we doing every day to be better, to be a better ally? Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Not everybody wants to be an ally. That is the truth. And to be honest, that's fine with me. You don't have to be my friend. You don't have to be my ally. But where the problem comes in is when you say you are, but you're not actually doing the work. So don't tell me that you care about racism or ableism or sexism, ageism, all of the isms. Ism, ism. Don't tell me that unless you're really doing the work. Show like, me the receipts. Yeah, show me them receipts. Take it out. Sis, when was the last time you were at a workshop? <laughs> Get your workshop. <laughs> when was the last time your ass read a book? Drink your green tea. Drink your green tea. <laughs> but real talk, there are consequences to being an ally. Hell yeah. If you speak out around people who don't feel the same way, mm. especially if they're in a position of power. Mm -hmm. Sis? Get ready to see your job gone, your friends gone. Family members gone. gone. Literally, followers, supporters gone. Just like that. Uh, <laughs> I really don't have a lot of white people in my life anymore. Outside of white people that are doing the same work internally that I'm trying to do. I was at a job for seven years when I started advocating not even strong, just when I started challenging uh, people a little bit more, uh, within three months, I was let go from that position. Um, I'm not close with my family anymore because that was the final step that I had to conquer was 
what am I willing to lose and risk? And I need to be willing to risk and lose it all. That shit is real, though. It's definitely real. I think that a lot of people think that they're ready to have these conversations. And they think that they're ready to be allies to a lot of different causes. But most of us don't even realize what that truly means. Right. And I feel like if you're actually doing it right, you're going to end up a little bit like Julia. You're going to lose some of that privilege that we hold so tightly. Right. And I, to be honest, Mm -hmm. we are not convincing our listeners to become allies. You're right. We're not convincing y'all at all. And you know, to be honest, I'm not really trying to convince anyone to become an ally. Are you trying to convince? No, that's not my purpose. It's not my purpose either. My purpose is to tell the truth. I don't got time for that. Exactly. So my parents were just visiting this past weekend. Uh, my father and I were having a conversation. He was asking about my job and why I've lost it. And I'd just been really kind of passing over that subject and giving him a soft answer. So I finally decided to kind of go in and give him a little bit more detail of what's been going on. He just started making comments and cutting me off. At a moment, he said, I, okay, I understand it. Yes, you're standing up. We, you got to stand up for the right thing. Uh, but, Julia, there's always going to be poor people. There's always going to be racism. And my youngest daughter was in the room, and my rule right now, and I would say to other white people, is you don't have these conversations with black and brown people in the room unless they want to have those conversations. And I thought I was handling the conversation appropriately, but it start it, it I lost control. Um, and when he said "but," and she was sitting in her own little corner, she's 14 years old, and this is her grandfather. She raised her voice and she said, "There is no but." And he said, "Excuse me." She's like, "There is no but." in this conversation and my father my father her grandfather looked at her and with power privilege authority white authority white supremacy said were you part of this conversation Mm. and she just sat up she looked at her grandfather And she said, did you really just say that to me right now? Did you really just say that to me right now? And then he retreated into his, oh, I didn't, you know, my hearing is really bad. And I I didn't really hear you. And she just went on. She sat there. She's like, I'm not leaving this space. Because my husband has been talking to her about you can't run. Many times we have to stand in, our, in your place and own who you are. And, you know, I think that is what makes an ally perpetually different than the person who is experiencing oppression, right? Because even an ally can lose some of their privilege by speaking out, but they can always, always run from the problems. Or just put it aside, you know? Like, you don't have to think about things all the time if it's not your problem. That's really true. Just put it aside, compartmentalize it. And people experiencing racism, they can also try to do that. But it's always still there. Because 
that's the way I understand that I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve any of the privileges that I have because I have not worked for any of them. But white people don't want to give that up. They do not want to give their privilege up. They want to be comfortable. And until they're affected by it personally or someone who they deeply care, and I would say even someone that they care about, because even my own children and my husband have been affected, and I still can kind of go on with my day. And it's just like, what, what, what is it going to take? What is it going to take for them to care every single day? And I think it's for me, it's just sharing with them to stop being so selfish. So what the fuck? That was deep as hell. It was deep as hell. And to be honest, like, I feel tension up in my neck. I'm tired. Girl, I need to stretch. I have circles under my eyes. Right? Why did we do this to ourselves? I don't know. My stress rash came back. <laughs> well, you know, we're honest here. And I, I love that we can, like, translate our actual conversations into this podcast for everybody to hear. Because think of the people that don't actually get to hear stuff like this on a regular basis how would you know yeah true and also a lot of times when at least when I try to have these conversations with white people they'll interrupt me or they'll cut me off um so for me to be able to fully get my point across without interruptions first of all just feels fucking fantastic I agree with you 100% but on on the flip side I also don't want our listeners to think that we hate white people because there's a lot of white people in our lives that we love. We're related to hella white no, people. My mom is white. <laughs> my dad is white. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, we just want to show the complexities, right? We're just trying to challenge people to look into their inner selves, including people of color when it comes to their own racial biases towards themselves. Yeah, seriously. And I think that's, honestly, that's our whole podcast, right? Yeah. Is a lot of this shit we have mixed feelings about, and damn, that's cheesy now that we have a brand about it. But oh, hell yeah. Super cheesy. <laughs> I'm talking queso. <laughs> I don't think we can't be cheesy. But, like, <laughs> really, you can't just make this clear cut. You can't just say, oh, all racists are bad people. No, you can't, because racism is so much deeper than that, you know? If it weren't deep, we wouldn't still be in it hundreds of years later. Oh, ooh. Put that on the t-shirt. And shout out to Julia for letting us talk to her about this and record it. Yeah, seriously, that takes a lot of time and energy, so shout out. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, especially to those of you who made it to the end. I know this episode was twice as long as the last one, not just because we love racism so much, but especially because a lot of you requested that we had longer episodes. So it's your fault. <laughs> no, but seriously, we take your feedback into consideration. So please, please shoot us a message on Instagram, on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. At the Mixed Feelings Podcast. Pretty much everywhere. You know where it is. Listen to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Sound and music by Gabe Cox and Banana Slug Productions. Logo by Shad Anderson. And photography by Nifty and Nifty Gupta. Yeah, we out. <laughs>